Charge up your plasma rifles. We are talking XCOM, Enemy Unknown, this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 19 of the Upper Memory Block podcast. As usual, I am your host, Joe, and we're back once again to, at the very least, talk about a game, and it'll kind of be from the Dawson Pre-Windows XP gaming era, but we're going to do things a little bit different this week. Uh, Before we get to that, a little about what's been going on. Um, I'm recording the show a little bit early this week. I usually record on the weekend, but uh, it is currently Thursday night. Because uh, I'm recording a bit early because I'm heading off on vacation for a week uh, over and uh, leaving on Saturday. So I had to get the show out early because I wanted to give you guys something. And that's also the reason I'm going about things a little bit differently. Uh, so enough about that. Enough enough teasing. Let's get on to the news. So it looks like I'll be doing a lot of callbacks this show. Um, if I remember correctly, in an early show... I talked a bit about the Leisure Suit Larry remake by Replay Games and by Leisure Suit Larry creator Al Lowe. Now, the campaign succeeded quite a while ago, and uh, and they're pretty well into into development on this project, and uh, they're looking to be distributed, however, via Steam when the project does come out. So to this end, they've they've put the project, the the Larry uh, remix, so I believe a Larry Reloaded project, onto the Steam Greenlight service. Uh, Without getting too much into it, Steam Greenlight, I can't remember if I've explained this before, uh, is a service that Steam started uh, where where indie games can basically apply and, uh, and based on community votes, they can get onto Steam for distribution. So Larry Reloaded needs your votes, so get on over there and get them onto Steam. You can find them by searching for Leisure Suit Larry on the uh, on the Steam community site, and of course, as I always do, I will place a link in the show notes. If you loved Larry at all, give them a vote. I'm sure they will appreciate it very much. Secondly, in the news, uh, last time around, I talked about the uh, the remake of Baldur's Gate. Uh, at that time, I guess that'd be two weeks ago now. Only the PC version of Baldur's Gate was available. Well, the iPad version is now available from both their website and the App Store for $10. I gave it a whirl last weekend, and it's a very cool adaptation of the game for tablets. It's the full game, the same version you'd get on the PC with the same graphics, uh, just the interface is tweaked a little bit for for a tablet interface. At times, the touch controls are, are a little bit squirrely, though that might just have to do with my fat fingers. I noticed when I wanted to scroll the screen, you know, to go to a different view, I tended to also move my characters at the same time. So it's not quite uh, a perfect uh, marriage, let's say. But overall, it is quite, quite good. And it's it's quite full. You got <laughs> something like 40 or 60 or 80 hours of gameplay, however long the original Baldur's Gate is, along with the bonus adventure and all that other stuff. So you can check that out by searching for Baldur's Gate on the App Store or heading to Baldur'sGate.com. Finally, in the news, GOG.com's winter sale is uh, is on. So over 495 games are on sale. Many of them are over half off. Some of them are even 75% off. 
I don't think the show will get out in time, but currently uh, Duke Nukem 3D is actually downloadable for free. Now that's going until December 14th at midnight. So I don't think that, uh, that the show will be out in time, but if it is, you can grab Duke Nukem 3D online. We talked about that in the Facebook group when a, a listener posted it. Thanks so much for that. Uh, GOG has been a great resource for this show. So if you guys want to grab any games, feel free to go over there, take advantage of their wonderful winter sale. So I got emails this week from two guys that are becoming regulars. Uh, Before we get into our big topic, let's hear what they have to say. First off, we have Andreas. He writes, hi, Joe. This time I don't have much to say other than I'll try out Alone in the Dark. I was also worried about the dated graphics and controls, but if you say it's not a problem, I'll take your word for it. I don't know when I'll get around to it, but let's just say your podcast greatly increased the first Alone in the Dark's priority in my huge backlog of games to play. It's a piece of gaming history that I should familiarize myself with as a fan of survival horror. I haven't played the new XCOM yet myself, considering that huge backlog is a game as I just mentioned. I just can't bring myself to pay 60 bucks or more for a game when I can get some, so many others for about 20. I've heard nothing but good things about XCOM from people whose opinions I trust, so I'm definitely going to play it. I'll just wait until it gets a bit cheaper. Enjoy your vacation. Uh, thanks a lot for that, Andreas. Um, you know, I, I agree. Uh, XCOM came out. I, I knew I was going to play it, and uh, it just was, as usual, a question of, uh, of cost and... Um, you know, I was able to uh, actually pick up XCOM for 33 bucks during Steam's autumn sales. So it was on sale. I know 33 is still a little bit pricey. Um, you know, 20, I tend to not bat my eyes much at, uh, at paying $20 for a newer game or even $25. 30, 33 gets a little more, a little more, uh, it, it causes a little more thinking in my head to uh, to go on. But I knew that this one was uh, was one I wanted to play. So, uh, so I took the plunge. But, uh, but yeah, I guess uh, we'll see what, what my conclusions are at the end of the show, and, uh, and we'll see if you want to buy it. So next we have BJ, and he writes, I just finished listening to the last show, and I'm actually kind of intrigued about Alone in the Dark now. So thank you. I'm not normally a survival horror guy, but maybe if I play this one and love it, I might go ahead and start working my way through Resident Evil. As far as the new XCOM Enemy Unknown is concerned, uh, while I've only played the demo, I am totally on board for getting this game, but the recent Steam sale didn't hit below my own personal threshold for prices I'm comfortable paying for games on Steam, which is about $30. But from what I've played of the demo, I freaking loved. The tutorial mission is not your mom's tutorial and takes you straight from your frying pan and puts you directly into the fire. Watch for games like this, uh, which for games like this is unbelievably powerful and sets the mood right away and tells you, to quote Harrison Ford in Star Wars Episode Four, great kid, don't get cocky. Also, I felt like the demo gave me too little of a taste for some of the management aspects of XCOM Enemy Unknown, so when I finally get to that game, I really need to sink my teeth into it to get a good feel for it. However, since I am unfortunately addicted to this little game called FTL Faster Than Light at the moment, I wouldn't be able to get that game for a little while. If you want to get addicted to a game I can only describe as Star Trek meets the Oregon Trail, go to ftlgame.com and buy the game directly from the devs for $10 or so, or you can buy the game on Steam or GOG for the same $10. Can't wait for the Enemy Unknown show, and I can't wait to hear what you think of the game. Thank you. So much, BJ. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of hooked on FTL myself when I wasn't playing XCOM for uh, for the review that's upcoming on this episode. I was playing FTL Faster Than Light. And actually, I mentioned the um, the Steam 
uh, winter sale, or sorry, not the Steam, the GOG.com winter sale FTL, at least today, is uh, is half price. So it is, uh, it's $5 or $4.99, according to them. Uh, so, you know, for five bucks, FTL is a really great game. I think I've already posted about it in the Facebook group. And uh, yeah, it's really, really incredible. It's a really well-made game. Uh, you know, the graphics are quite simple, but, um, you know, they have a really cool style to them and all that. So definitely, if you like these kind of, I guess they're called roguelike games where uh, you can't really save your game, you just keep moving forward. And when you die, you die. Um, yeah, check it out. Cool strategy, cool environment, cool atmosphere, cool music, all that. Check out FTL. So now that uh, we've kind of let it slip already what the show's about based on these emails, I think it's time to get to the main topic. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for So as I've already said this week, I am doing something a little bit different. The focus of this week's show will not be an old game from the late 80s and early 90s, but on the latest incarnation of a great series I've already focused on, XCOM. Today I'll be doing a quick and dirty review of XCOM Enemy Unknown. Enemy Unknown came out a mere three months ago on October 9th, 2012. It was developed by our friends at Firaxis and published by 2K Games. Now, I'm not going to reiterate the entire history of the XCOM series. If you're interested in that, I very strongly recommend you jump back to episode 4 from way back in May of this year where I cover that in great detail. Also, I apologize in advance for any awkwardness and poor sound quality back in those early shows. Uh, One good reason for this, to go back and and listen to episode 4, is I will likely spend a lot of the gameplay talk discussing the similarities and differences between the original and the new games. That aside, I'm still going to try and stick close to the normal formula, and that means a quick overview of the genre. So being that this game is effectively a modern remake of the original XCOM UFO Defense from 1994, it is also of the same genre, turn-based tactics. As we've discussed in the past, turn-based tactics games generally focus on small military units and their movements. Each side performs actions in alternating turns, generally attempting to outflank and outmaneuver their enemy in order to achieve some form of military objective. Objectives span the standard range of goals such as extermination of all enemies, search and rescue of a friendly unit, escort, defense of a fixed position, or simply survival for a set amount of time. Since we've already talked about this in the past, uh, that's enough of that. Let's jump right into the story and the gameplay. So unlike the original game, which provided a large amount of background info in the manual, Enemy Unknown does in fact have a relatively engaging story which develops throughout the game. So as the intro rolls an Arthur C. Clarke quote fades in. Two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe, or we are not. Both are equally terrifying. A flaming meteor crashes into a city street. People look on, and suddenly green tendrils start grabbing people, and people start running in terror. Explosions rack the area, and suddenly the view switches to a bald man, wearing a suit half-shrouded in shadows. He tells you what's happening, and what is being done about it. Hello, Commander. In light of the recent extraterrestrial incursion, this Council of Nations has convened to approve the activation of the XCOM project. You have been chosen to lead this initiative to oversee our first and last line of defense. 
Your efforts will have considerable influence on this planet's future. We urge you to keep that in mind as you proceed. Good luck, Commander. This is your introduction to the world. It is the near future. A group of countries calling themselves the Council of Nations has uh, pulled their resources together to create XCOM, an elite multinational military unit whose sole mission is to defend Earth against the alien incursions. The incursion from the intro is your first destination. That was the last transmission, sir. Patch me through to Voodoo 3-1. You are being deployed to Germany. At 1900 hours Zulu, several unidentified objects fell to Earth. After ruling out the possibility of a downed satellite, we now believe these objects to be extraterrestrial in nature. Shortly after impact, German officials received reports of mass hysteria and freak weather around one of the impact zones. Then things went dark. At 2100 hours, a chopper carrying a German military recon team went down in the area after they reported being fired upon. As you know, Germany is a member of the Council, and they have requested our assistance. Our mission is to assess the situation on the ground, ascertain the current status of the German recon team, and investigate the extraterrestrial objects. Central out. Roger, Voodoo 3-1. Any sign of activity? Negative. Nothing's moving down there. Okay. Set her down nearby. So this is effectively all the background you are given. Unlike in the original game where you can read about the history, the forming of the council, and what your exact role is, in this new game, you go in on very little information. So if we recall the original XCOM, after a short intro, you're dumped to a management screen where you have to start messing around with your base. Enemy Unknown does the opposite. First things first, you join one of your squads en route to see what there is to see in Germany. This launches you into the game's tutorial. Your transport lands and your troops deploy. You are then instructed by Central on how to move your squad members, how to manage your views, weapons, and other interesting little UI and battlescape gameplay tidbits. This tutorial mission gives you a very good basic taste of what gameplay in Enemy Unknown will be like. You move your troops across the field into a building where you encounter two small aliens. As it turns out, you and your soldiers are woefully unprepared and all but one of your troops are killed before the aliens are taken out. Your remaining soldier escapes to the transport. This is where your gameplay decisions really begin. Much like the original, XCOM Enemy Unknown is a game of compromises. As the transport takes off, you're asked to select which continent your base is located on. Different continents give you different bonuses. For example, in the beginning, setting your base in North America lowers the cost of uh, weapons and aircraft by 50%. Setting it up in Europe cuts the cost of labs and workshops by 50%. Initially, other countries are not available, and I assume they must be unlocked. Upon arriving at your newly selected base, the management aspect of the tutorial takes place. You are introduced to your staff, including your chief of operations, head scientist, and chief engineer. These people and their staffs will support you throughout the game. This is another way the gameplay has both stayed the same and changed radically. 
The original game certainly did have a strong base management aspect to it. However, your main view was always considered the Geosphere, the large map where you would track UFOs. From here, you managed intercepts, you did buying and research, and placed new bases around the world. This is no longer the case. In Enemy Unknown, your main view is of your base. Additionally, you only crea ever create a single base, which you view in what the developers call an ant farm view, as opposed to a top-down view like the original. So the original UFO defense required you to establish small satellite bases around the world equipped with radar to track incoming alien ships. This is where the huge and daunting complexity of the original came into play. Managing multiple bases was time-consuming, unwieldy, and difficult to budget for. Not only did you have to build facilities, but you had to place soldiers there for base defense, etc, etc, etc. Enemy Unknown does retain the idea of watching the globe, but it dispenses with the daunting task of managing multiple bases. Instead, your main base has what is called the Situation Room. Here you can monitor terror levels in countries around the world. To keep an eye on incursions, you also have the ability to launch satellites over each country. These satellites act as your first warning of an alien incursion. The second line is found in your main base's hangar. To begin, you start off with two interceptors. Unlike the original game, again, where you had to make a base if you wanted interceptors placed in another location, here interceptors are housed by country, not by base. If you want to move one of your planes to Japan, you are free to do so. It only requires some time to complete the move. As you purchase more vehicles, you can place them in different locations around the world to facilitate quicker interceptions. Of course, no XCOM game would be complete without research and engineering. Just as in the original, after each mission you return to base with alien artifacts which can be researched to improve your own armor, weapons, and other equipment. Not only does research improve your gear, it also pushes the story forward. Very quickly your R&D people develop a weapon to capture live aliens. Once you have this and build an alien containment unit at your base, you begin to interrogate and study these live specimens. This, combined with autopsies of dead specimens, slowly reveals more and more info about both each type of alien and clues to their ultimate goals. Once an item is researched, its resulting technological developments are then available for construction by your engineers. Not only do your engineers build gear for you, they also handle expanding your base. Expanding your base is pretty much a requirement to advance through the game, and there is an element of planning that should go into it. Base modules range in utility from the very mundane, such as power generators, to elements which enhance your production capacity, such as additional research labs and workshops, to utility items like satellite uplinks, which allow you to put more satellites over more countries, finally to the foundry, which allows your engineers to research upgrades to your existing equipment. There's many other base modules that uh, that come into play further on in the game, but you know those are kind of the, the, basic, the basic modules. There's also... Uh, an aspect of strategy to placing your modules. When you put similar modules next to each other, they, they, they work more efficiently. So if you put two laboratories next to each other, there's, I believe, something to the effect of a 20% increase in, uh, in research speed, or you get 20% more scientists or something like that. So you shouldn't just place your modules in your base haphazardly. There should really be some form of, uh, of strategy to try and maximize your existing base facilities. So while much of this is quite similar to the original game, I find the management portion of the new game much more fluid and dynamic. 
When you accomplish a task that moves the storyline forward, it triggers some very cool and well together put together cutscenes. Uh, it's also very motivating to get that next weapon type, new armor or support item, and find a cool way to use it in combat. With that in mind though, one big aspect of this management game is setting priorities and making compromises. I never quite ran out of money, but it's a scarce resource. I always felt like I was never quite in a comfortable spot with regard to it. I either spent too much doing stuff to my base at the expense of equipping my troops with the best hardware, or I spent too much time and money outfitting my troops only to fall behind on facilities, research, and engineering. When you get your infusion of funds from the council every 30 days, it all goes away very quickly. In the original game, you could muck around manufacturing tech and selling it at a profit. You can't do this in Enemy Unknown. There is a black market, but all you can sell there are alien artifacts you collect on missions. And it doesn't really pay to do that, as you tend to need those artifacts to build more advanced technology. Finally, in the base view, we have Mission Control. This is where the original main geoscape view of the game of, uh, of UFO Defense escaped to. Here you can select Scan for Activity, which compresses time until some event occurs. On the plus side, you may experience things like research completion, a council review where you get paid, injured soldiers coming back on duty, and more. But what we're really waiting for here is a mission. Just like in UFO Defense, there are a few types of missions that can be triggered. The most common type tends to be a standard alien incursion. Here aliens are detected in an area. Your mission is to enter the area and take them out. Other times, your satellites may detect a UFO which triggers an interception. Here one of your interceptor aircraft will launch and try and take down the UFO. If it crashes on land, you send your squad to mop up the survivors and collect any artifacts you can. Finally, on the original set of missions are terror missions. Like in the original, terror missions require you to go into an area being terrorized by aliens, save as many civilians as you can, and take out the enemy. As I already said, XCOM is a game of compromises. Completing any kind of mission in a given country will lower the panic level in that country, but raise it in the others that were also asking for your help at the same time. If a panic level in a country rises too high for too long, it will leave the council and decrease your overall funding. Now, one new mission type that has been added are council missions. These missions are assigned to you directly by the council and tend to have more complex objectives. Generally, they involve rescuing a VIP, destroying a specific target, or a very cool one, defusing bombs. Uh, so whichever mission type you get, you select a squad and make your way to the mission zone. Now, the action-packed part of the game begins. So this is what the original game referred to as the Battlescape, and on its surface, its turn-based combat missions are quite similar in scope to those of UFO Defense. There are, however, quite a few enhancements. Soldiers in this game are much, much more interesting. In UFO Defense, you had the ability to name your soldiers and customize their weaponry. As they gained experience, their stats would increase to some degree, some soldiers were slightly more suited to carrying heavy weapons and others were slightly more suited to long-range combat, but overall, your soldiers were fairly interchangeable. You give someone a rocket launcher, they're a heavy. You give someone a sniper rifle, they're a sniper. You give them a med kit, you know, they're a medic. Enemy Unknown takes this to the next level. Once rookie soldiers get a mission under their belt, they get promoted and are randomly assigned a specific specialty. These include heavy, sniper, support, and assault. Each class has a preferred weapon. The sniper can use the sniper rifle and all the more advanced long-range weapons. The heavy mounts a rocket launcher. 
The assault, a short-range shotgun, and the support soldier maintains their standard general-purpose assault rifle. On top of this, as your soldiers go up in rank, they gain abilities specific to their class. As a recruit, they have no special talents. On their first promotion to squaddy, they're given their first special ability. For example, the assault class gets the run and gun ability, which allows them to fire their weapons after using up both of their movement turns. This is usually not allowed. The sniper gets the headshot ability, which increases critical chance with a sniper rifle, and so on. From here on, almost every other rank, up to colonel, gives the option of two abilities, allowing you to create some interesting builds for your different soldiers. Assault troops can be built for extra damage or added personal defense. Support can be built as healers or as more of a buffing and defensive unit. Snipers can sacrifice accuracy for additional firing opportunity or vice versa, and heavies can focus on either AoE damage or on tactical support. These talents really do allow for some interesting gameplay opportunities. Not only can you build soldiers with unique talents, but you can also modify their names and appearances. These traits all together really do make you care about your soldiers. This is great until you have to put them in harm's way. Since this is XCOM, when your soldiers die, they perma-die. This may not matter much for a squaddy on his first op, but when you lose a fully specked out colonel who's been on your team since the start of the game, it hurts. The devs know this well, and they give you some interesting gameplay options. Not only do you get to choose a difficulty level, you also get to choose whether or not you're allowed to restore from a previous save game. This is known as Iron Man mode and is basically a play on Diablo's hardcore mode. If you had a bad mission and you lose all your troops, that's it. No restores. Deal with it. Move on forward. Unless you run out of money, then you just lose the game. The combat difficulty modes are also interesting. Uh, they range from the standard easy and normal to classic, which is supposed to mirror the difficulty of the original game, up to impossible, which is apparently very challenging. I, I didn't bother because, frankly, I'm not very good at these games. So after all that, we move on to the combat. Every mission begins with you deploying from your Sky Ranger transport. You then fan out and attempt to accomplish your objective. You view the world from a 3D isometric perspective, and while you can't rotate the view in a full 360 degrees of freedom, you can choose from four fixed points of view to inspect the action. As with the original game, Fog of War obscures the map and, and you can't see any movement that isn't in the line of sight of one of your soldiers. Here again, we have the inspiration and the great parts of the original game with the clunky 90s DOS aspects removed or updated. So how is this the same? The atmosphere, as defined by the graphics and music, are just as unnerving as the original. When the aliens are moving outside your line of sight, you can hear them, but you can't see them, which personally can send shivers up my spine. Uh, what, what's changed, though? Everything that made this portion of the game over-complex and clunky in the original is now different. Firstly, in UFO defense, all actions were dictated by the number of action points a unit had. Want to move, take a certain kind of shot, move again, and then hunker down? You could do all of that if you had enough action points. However, keeping track of all these points was a huge pain. In Enemy Unknown, your actions are much more limited. Without modifiers from talents or weapons, most soldiers can either fire, perform an action, move and fire, move and perform an action, or move twice, which they consider to be a dash. So basically, you can either do something, move twice, or move and do something. Also gone is the very convoluted and clunky inventory system from the original game. 
With it, you could pick up weapons and ammo that were dropped by your allies or slain enemies and use them mid-mission. However, doing this cost a lot of time units and was frankly not very straightforward. This system was totally dropped in the new game. Instead, each soldier is limited to the gear they enter the mission with. So the common theme with these two changes is sacrificing flexibility and micromanagement in favor of simpler controls and faster paced gameplay. Another major change is the importance of cover. The original game had the concept of cover, but it was never really very easy, at least for me, to know if your soldiers were in it or not. In Enemy Unknown, each map square your current active soldier can move to displays an icon indicating that stopping in that square will provide either no cover, partial cover for a 20% uh, hit to enemy accuracy, or full cover for a 40% advantage. So unless you have a damned good reason to do so, you should always end your turns in cover. There's too much advantage to standing outside in, in the open. And most likely, if you do leave your soldiers out in the open, they will be killed. Uh, you also have the ability to flank enemies. And of course, they have the ability to flank you. Flanking negates cover and offers a critical hit bonus. It really does pay to try and flank your enemies if at all possible. If you can get a sniper off around to the side with a high-powered rifle, you can take down most enemies pretty quick. Finally, there is a change to the concept of ammo. In the original, you only had as much ammo as you could carry or scrounge. In Enemy Unknown, while your weapons do need to be reloaded, you never run out of ammo to reload them with. Again, this change was likely made to encourage faster and more intense gameplay, and also to negate the management of inventory. So, you and the aliens alternate turns until either your objective is accomplished or all of your soldiers are dead. At the end of the mission, you are rated by the council. Depending on how well or how poorly you do over the month affects your rating and by extension, how much money you are awarded by the council. Eventually, you accomplish enough to make it to the final confrontation with the alien leader where, if you defeat him, uh, you win the game. So that's basically it for the gameplay. There's, a, there's also multiplayer aspects to this game where you can uh, create a mixed team of, uh, of humans and aliens and, uh, and battle your friends in, uh, in, in turn-based combat. So that's a lot of fun as well. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... So in an effort to keep things short this week, which I appear to be failing at, I'm not going to do a ton of dev story. My intention in covering this game was to do more of an in-depth review. There are, however, a few interesting facts that I want to cover. So the original XCOM name was trademarked on May 25th, 1995 by Microprose. Um, Julian Gollop, if you remember his name from, the, uh, from way back in episode 4, who's the original creator of the series, states that he and the other creators were required to sign over any personal claims they had to the game in exchange for cash and royalties on XCOM Apocalypse, which was the, uh, the third game in the series, or the project would be cancelled. So under this threat, they did so, and this resulted in the XCOM intellectual property being acquired by Hasbro when Microprose was acquired by them in 1998. 
Hasbro was later sold to Infograms, if you remember, they're the maker of Alone in the Dark from last week. Uh, that happened in 2001. Infograms eventually changed names to Atari SA, and in 2005, Atari SA transferred some IPs over to Take-Two Interactive. So maybe coincidentally, and maybe not, Firaxis Games is a subsidiary of Take-Two Interactive, and Firaxis Games was started by a group of former MicroPro staff, most notably the incomparable Sid Meier, who we've already chatted about back in episode 12, all about Railroad Tycoon. Initial word of a new XCOM game came out of 2K in, um, in around 2006. However, this isn't the game we have just been talking about. This game was set to be an action-packed first-person tactical shooter as opposed to a turn-based strategy game. Upon hearing this, fan reaction was very negative, and Julian Gollop himself was reported as saying the new action shooter was a great shame. While all of this negative press was going on, another team within 2K Games was getting approval for their own version of XCOM. This team was led by Jake Solomon of Firaxis, the subsidiary composed of former Micropost staff. Solomon has a huge love and respect for the original XCOM and was able to wrangle approval for a 50-60 to 60 member team to effectively remake the original game. Solomon is such a fan of the original and was so concerned about maintaining the spirit of it, he required all staff who had never experienced XCOM to go back and play the 1994 release until they were intimately familiar with it. They then began an iterative development process. So the initial prototype of the game was basically a straight remake of the gameplay of the original. As they continued iterating, they would tweak, add, modify, and remove gameplay elements they felt would create a more engaging and fun experience while still keeping true to that core gameplay style of the original. Sid Meier himself is credited as the game's director of creative development, though he didn't really have much interaction with it day to day. Uh, the game's amazing and eerie musical score was created by Firaxis's in-house composer, Roland Rizzo. Now, Rizzo was actually working at Microprose back in 1993, and while he didn't compose the music on, uh, on the original game, that was actually John Broomhall, he did work on the software quality assurance team testing the original XCOM. So Rizzo said that he and his team didn't set out to copy Broomhall's original score, but they did want to try and evoke the same sense of otherworldliness and tension that Broomhall was able to achieve. So Enemy Unknown released back in October 2012, and uh, it released to rave reviews. And just a few weeks ago, on December 4th, 2012, uh, the first gameplay DLC pack named XCOM Enemy Unknown Slingshot released. This expansion adds a new set of missions and includes new customization options for your soldiers. So where can we get XCOM Enemy Unknown? Well, for once, I don't have to do much research here. You can buy a box copy at most any store that sells games, not to mention that it is available for both the Xbox 360 and the PS3. 
Of course, as usual, you can also buy the game online on Steam. It costs $49.99 US, and the Slingshot Pack is $6.99. There's also an additional DLC pack, which gives you a, a classic uh, soldier inspired from the armor sets of the original game, and I believe that's about $5, but that's not really a gameplay pack, that's just the, uh, the additional soldier. Though that may seem a little expensive, especially compared to the other games I generally talk about on this show, keep an eye out because it does tend to go on sale. As I said way back in the beginning in response to Andreas's email, I was able to get my hands on the game for about 33 bucks during the Steam autumn sale. And God knows uh, after Christmas, things may go on sale again. So, uh, so definitely keep your eyes out. The Treks in Sci-Fi Podcast. Stand by to receive our transmission. Sci-fi entertainment news and commentary. I am Locutus, a Borg. Star Trek episode analysis. Captain of the USS Enterprise. Pokey religions and ancient weapons. Collectibles, toy, and prop reviews. I am to misbehave. The weekly Treks in Sci-Fi podcast with your host Rico at treksinsci-fi.com. Okay, time for the big question of the show. So I'm not going to ask if the game holds up today, but I am going to ask myself if I recommend this game or not. Well, as you may have gathered, the answer is most definitely yes. In fact, I may even venture to say that this could be my game of the year. It evokes the nostalgia of the original. It captures everything that was awesome about that game in 1994 and enhances it. When this game was in development, I was very skeptical. From what I saw, I couldn't put together exactly how they were going to use this cinematic style in a turn-based strategy game, but darn it if they didn't surprise me. This game uses the Unreal Engine in a great way. The action figure type, semi-dark art style is great looking. The lighting sets the mood in a way the original game technically just couldn't. When you fire, the camera zooms into your soldiers in such a cool cinematic way. You know, I still feel nervous when I see alien activity come up on the screen. I just... I just love it. I mean, there's so many aspects of this game I haven't talked about. I just mentioned multiplayer in passing. I haven't talked about the psionics. I haven't talked about all the different stages that you have to go through to get to the final mission. There's a whole bunch of steps, and it's just there's so much to this game. Now, there are some small UI foibles, like sometimes the UI will jump around, especially when you're trying to aim a grenade or a rocket. Uh, Switching the view height to look at upper floors of buildings can be tricky. And sometimes actions I don't want get triggered, but, uh, but these are very minor and they certainly don't detract from my recommendation. You know, if you enjoyed the original XCOM or heck, even if you hated it because it was too damn hard, give this game a whirl. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's got fast paced action. I mean, if you can say that a turn-based strategy game can have fast paced action and it's very, very approachable on the lower difficulty levels. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. 
So that is that. I did end up making the show a little bit shorter than usual, as was my intention. But uh, thanks again to Andreas and BJ for your emails. I love all the memories and opinions and suggestions that everyone has to talk to me about. Uh, Next time around, I think, I'm pretty sure, I will be covering the 1999 Particle Systems Space Sim Independence War. So I'm retreating back into the past from 2012, but not quite as far as I usually do. Of course, everyone can always send email or audio comments to podcast at umbcast.com. If you don't want to do that, you can use the send voicemail tab on umbcast.com on the right-hand side. Thanks to Rick Moyer for his great audio work. You can find him as usual over at moyermultimedia.com. You can check out the show notes at umbcast.com. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash umbcast. And you can follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash umbshow. Me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476. As always, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or stream us live at Stitcher Radio. So that's that. And I guess this is indeed the last show before everyone goes off for the holidays. So happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and all that other stuff. I will see you next time for Independence War here in the Upper Memory Block. Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join us.